Amen. Amen. Well, go ahead and open your Bible to James chapter 3. We are going to dive right into the Word of God this morning. James chapter 3 is a very, very famous passage uh, dealing with one specific part of our body. It's dealing with the tongue. Uh, and so you can probably guess where our session on the struggle is real is going today. But we're going to read this starting in verse 1 of James chapter 3. It says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So before James gets into dealing with our words, before he gets into dealing with the tongue, he, he makes sure to preface it with this. If you are in a leadership Position, And I don't think this is specifically just teachers, although he does uh, apply it specifically to teachers. But I think if we're in a position of, of authority, if we're in a position where people look up to us, the Bible says there's going to be a higher standard applied to us. And for me as the pastor of a church, I hate this verse. I wish it wasn't in here. I don't want to think that I'm going to be held to a higher standard. But this is what the Word of God says. Sometimes the Word of God can be uncomfortable, but we have to lean in and embrace the truth of it. And so just, just a warning for those of us who are in a leadership position, whatever that might look like for you, whatever that might look like in your life, God's Word says that we're going to be held to a higher standard. There are higher expectations placed on us. The way that we live matters, and specifically the way that we speak matters is what we're going to see in the rest of this context of this passage. Verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. The struggle is real, right? Amen. We all struggle in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now, perfect in the, whole, old, in the New Testament, uh, the Greek word means whole. He is a whole man, a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So he's saying if, if you can keep your tongue under control, you're going to keep the rest of you in, under control. If you've got the self-discipline, if you've got the self-control, and we believe that it's not just self-discipline, it's actually self-control, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you allow the Holy Spirit to evidence in your life to where you can control this, you're going to be able to control the rest. Because this is the hardest one, is what we're going to find out. Verse 3, he says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James is very subtle. Uh, like he's, he's real, real relaxed, real casual in his writing. Dude, he is in your face, right? Like he is in your grill. If you don't like a preacher that steps on your toes, you would not want to go to James's church. Uh, like you would check out real quick. In fact, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, the first Christian church, the church that, that had the most influence, that was the most prominent. At the very beginning, he was the pastor here. He was a brother of Jesus who didn't believe in Jesus for Jesus' entire life. He didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God until he saw him raised back to life. And when he saw his brother, and I, and I get this, right? Like if my brother said, hey, I'm God, I'm rolling my eyes. Like, I've got to give James a little bit of grace here. Like, if you grew up with the guy, you're like, yeah, okay, sure you are, buddy. Uh, keep working on that. But, but after Jesus' three years of ministry, after he did all these miracles, and James still said, no, not buying it. There's something weird going on here. 
Jesus dies and raises again. James watches him on the cross. He sees him die before his eyes. And three days later, his brother is back to life. He says, okay, I was wrong. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. Had this radical transformation. So he goes from being a doubter, from being an unbeliever, to actually leading the church in Jerusalem. The Christians in the very city where the gospel is birthed, the very city where Jesus sends people out of, James becomes the pastor there. And so he's writing this primarily to his church, to his followers. And we see how direct and in your face he is when it comes about this thing that we all stumble, we all struggle with, the tongue. Verse 7, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is true. I thank you that it is for us. God, I thank you that even the parts that sometimes I don't like, the parts that are sometimes uncomfortable, that they're for my good, that they're there to make me more like you. And so I pray today, God, as we unwrap this kind of uncomfortable passage, this difficult passage, God, that you would help us to to apply it to our lives. God, you would help us to see ourselves the way you see us. God, you would help us to, to understand exactly what it is that you spoke through the brother of Jesus to us. God, and that you would help us to to learn from it, to be more like you as we apply this to our lives. We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. So we've been in this series called The Struggle is Real. And we've been looking at, at these various struggles that we all have. We've discovered that there's a struggle for our mind, struggle for our thoughts. We've looked at uh, the struggle against the flesh. Last week we looked at the struggle for the lost. Probably the the most important of the three. And this week as we wrap up the series, I want us to look at the struggle for our words. Uh, I believe that our words have power. I believe that our words are important. I believe that one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give account to him for the things that I have said. This is what the Bible teaches. See, words are important. And so many times I think we underestimate the value of the things we say. So many times I think, uh, especially if you're like me, I'm one of those people that a lot of times I speak first and think later. Like that's just kind of the way that I've always been. Like I'm good at putting my foot in my mouth. Like I'm good at just, like I like to talk, right? And sometimes that can be a terrible, dangerous, awful characteristic. Uh, and, And so God's word is very clear, and it's not just here in James. There are other passages that are very clear about the importance of what we say. In fact, the Bible says that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And I'll just be the first one to tell you straight up, I can get those two backwards really easy. Quick to speak, slow to listen. Uh, And so I've got to allow God's Holy Spirit to work in me to give me that self-control. This one, uh, probably of all four of these that we've gone into, this is my struggle. 
This is where the struggle is real for me. Most of the time I've got my thoughts mostly under control. Most of the time I, I can maybe walk in the spirit more than the flesh. Most of the time I care about the loss, not always by any means. I've got struggles in those areas. But this is the one where I'm going to have the greatest challenge, is the struggle with my words. And as some of you in this room are going to identify with this, we're going to go back through this passage, and we're just going to break it down, we're going to make some application, we're going to try to wrestle with what exactly he's trying to say. We're just going to be real practical today as we talk about words. So James chapter 3 verse 2 says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. So like I already told you, this is written to the church in Jerusalem, this is the most representative group of Christians, the most normal group of Christians in this era, the, the average Christians, the everyday Christians, 2,000 years ago, and yet I don't think they're really all that different from us today, and so I believe if we apply James 3, 2 to us, if we believe that he wasn't just writing it to them, but he was actually writing it to us, and we read it again, it says, we all stumble in many, many ways, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Here's what I think that we're going to see. Here's what I think we can apply as we go through this passage. For many of us, the biggest thing between where we are and where God wants us to be is our words. The biggest difference between where we are and where God would have us to be are the things that we say. That we haven't gotten this tongue under control, that we just kind of let it run off and do what it wants, say what it wants, speak what it wants, and a lot of times we try to justify it, and I've been guilty of this myself, because we'll say something, because it's something we feel, we don't control our tongue, we feel something, so we let it come out, and we say, I'm just being real, I'm just being honest, I'm just, that's, just, that's just how I feel, that's just how it is, right, and, and we try to, to, to make, it's okay if I'm going to say it, because that's really how I feel, but that's not what the Word of God says. The word of God doesn't say speak what you feel. It just doesn't. It's not in here. I've read the whole book. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach us to just say what we feel. God places a higher standard, a higher expectation on his believers than just speaking out whatever we're feeling. And so for many of us in this room today, I believe there's a real possibility that the biggest difference between where you are right now and where God would have you to be is you haven't learned to tame you haven't learned to get this thing under control. Now you might ask, okay, well how are my words keeping me from where God wants me to be? Well, we're going to unpack that as we go. But before we get to that answer, James is going to give us three metaphors that you'll notice here in the passage. He says, when we put bits into the mouth of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Well, they, are, they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So the first example is bits in the mouths of horses. The second is the rudder of a ship. And then he says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So here we see James make three illustrations. Three examples, three metaphors from the physical world that all of his hearers, all of his readers can relate to. They all knew about ships, they all knew about horses, they all knew about fire. And what's so interesting about this is all three of these illustrations still kind of make sense today. Like a lot of times in the Bible they're going to make illustrations about shepherding or about fishing in a certain way that has no application, like we don't do things that way. And so we have to go back and study it. These three are pretty straightforward. These three pretty much make 
makes sense. So I brought some pictures to, to help illustrate the point today. So first of all, he talks about putting bits into the mouths of horses. Well, yesterday there was a big horse race. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but it was called the Belmont Stakes. And a horse named American Pharaoh won this, which is the third leg of the Triple Crown. This is the first time a horse has won the Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness Stakes, and the Belmont Stakes all in the same year, uh, since 1978. I was born in 1980. I'm 34. I am old. And this is the first time this has happened in my lifetime. It's a big deal in horse racing. So I got some pictures. This is American Pharaoh. Uh, right after he crossed the finish line with his jockey, looking back, uh, he had about a five-and-a-half lengths lead over the horse behind him. Pretty historic moment. Great celebration, great thing, incredible horse. Uh, but go ahead and show the next picture. Here we see a close-up uh, of the horse, uh, but we see, if, if you look to the right of the picture, you can see where the reins connect to his mouth, and you can't really see it, but there's a bit in American Pharaoh's mouth. This picture was actually taken as they were leading him into the starting gates. You see, if it wasn't for the control given by the bit that was placed in this incredible animal's mouth, he never wins the triple crown. He never wins the three races. He never even makes it to the starting gate. He never even begins if it wasn't for the control given by the bit. What's he saying? He's saying that bit, that little bitty thing, it may seem so insignificant, it gives all the control of the whole animal. What's he comparing it to? Your tongue. Just the way that that little bit controls the whole horse, your little tongue is going to control your direction. It's going to determine where you go. So he builds on his illustration. He doesn't stop there. He talks about ships and the rudder on a ship. So I brought a picture of the USS Missouri. I've actually been on this ship. This is the USS Missouri. That deck right there is where the treaty to end World War II was signed. The Japanese stepped onto this deck, and they surrendered to the United States. The Germans had already surrendered. The Japanese surrendered, and World War II ended on that deck. I got to stand on that deck in Bremerton, Washington, uh, back in about 1997. Pretty incredible, pretty historic place. So this ship, this battleship, this uh, aircraft carrier, no, actually it's a battleship, goes off to battle, goes off to sea, travels thousands of miles across the sea, but again, it's controlled by a very small part. Go ahead and show the next picture. This actually shows the tail of the USS Missouri when it was in dry dock. You see these two little red things that are protruding down. The USS Missouri is such a large ship, it actually has two rudders. But again, if you look at those rudders in comparison to the ship, the ship is 888 feet long. Those rudders are about 15 feet long. Little bitty in comparison to this massive ship, this historic ship, this ship that, that protected our freedom, controlled by a couple very small pieces in the back. And then finally he goes on and he compares it to a spark creating a forest fire. Now, I grew up on the West Coast, and in the West, forest fires are a big deal. There are lots of forests, there is lots of area out there, and I don't know why, but for some reason, they like to catch on fire. Uh, and so there, there's always, man, there's a wildfire in California, there's a wildfire in Washington, there's a forest fire in Wyoming, um, they, they spread. And so when I think of forest fires, I think of one person, actually not a person, I think of a bear. What do you guys think of? If you grew up in my generation, Smokey the Bear, go ahead and put up Smokey the Bear. Smokey the Bear says, remember, only you can prevent forest fires, right? 
It's just one little small spark. I think the commercial when I was a kid, it was always about somebody like throwing their cigarette out the window into the forest. And that one cigarette destroyed thousands of animals, you terrible person. Right? That, that was like the message that they were sending. One little spark, one little mistake, one little lack of consideration, one little lack of thought can destroy so much. And to me, this is the best illustration of the three. Because one word, one conversation where you weren't thinking, where you weren't careful, one time where you let your tongue go and you say some things that you really didn't mean can absolutely light a relationship on fire. It can destroy your credibility. It can destroy your integrity. It can destroy your marriage. It can destroy your relationship with your kids. The tongue is It's dangerous. And if we don't keep this thing under control, if we don't yield it and submit it to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, it can wreak so much havoc in our lives. And so James used these three powerful, strong illustrations to teach us, to help us to remember how important it is to keep our tongue under control. Verse 6, it says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. The things that I say can actually corrupt all of you. Scary. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Again, James is very direct, very strong. I think he's exaggerating a little bit here to, to, to make the point. I think he's trying to emphasize how important it is to understand. I don't think your tongue is literally set on fire by hell. He's using a figure of speech here. But what he is saying is that, that the enemy is after your tongue, right? The enemy wants to get you to destroy your life or to destroy the life of somebody around you with the things that you say. This is very, very important. The struggle is real. It's serious business. Verse 7 says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. All right, so you came to church today to be encouraged, and now you're reading a verse that says nobody can control the tongue. It's evil. It's deadly. It's straight from the fires of hell. What am I supposed to do? I feel helpless reading this. What, what is James trying to say? I don't think that James is saying no man, that you can never tame your tongue. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think he's telling us this because we need to tame our tongue. What he's saying is that you can't do it alone. You are not capable. You cannot put your tongue under control by yourself. You can only do it in submission to the Holy Spirit and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. You see, the tongue is part of my flesh. And we talked about the struggle between the tongue, or excuse me, between the flesh and the spirit a couple weeks back. And the, the principle that we learned that is so important, and if you're going to get control of your tongue, you're going to have to apply this principle, is that whatever you feed will lead. Whatever you feed will lead. Are you feeding your flesh in the things that you say? Are you giving voice to, to your discouragements? Are you giving, and I'm not saying you can never vent. I'm not saying there's not a way to do that. In fact, biblically, we see, if you read the book of Psalms, David is venting a lot. But you know who David's venting to? He's venting to God. See, when David had some issues with the enemy, when David had some issues with some people around him, he didn't go and run his mouth to everybody around him about how terrible so-and-so is and how frustrating this is and how much he hates this and hates that. 
He went straight to God. And he vented. He was honest. He was real. He didn't hold back. He didn't put his emotions in check. He told God exactly how he felt. But in so doing, God was able to soothe him, to comfort him, to help him. And in everyone, in fact, 75% of the Psalms, there's 150 Psalms, 75% of them are what we call laments. They're complaints. They're David saying, God, you said this, but life goes like this. How come you said this, but I don't feel like this? How come you said this, but I don't see this? How come you said this, but this isn't evidenced in my life right now? He's complaining to God, and it is completely legitimate. In fact, it's so legitimate that the Holy Spirit inspired people to pass those down for us to identify with and to see. It's okay to feel bad. I'm not telling you it's not. you can't have a bad day. You can't get upset. You can't question the the way that things are going, absolutely, but you vent those things to him. In fact, David in in 2 Samuel chapter 6, one of the most amazing passages in in scripture to me, David has the worst day of anybody I've ever seen. David and 600 men go off to war, they go off to a battle, he's leading them to battle, and they come back victorious. They've won, they get back to their town, it's called Ziklag, and when they get back to Ziklag, their houses are burned down, their wives and kids have been abducted, all their livestock has been taken, all their possessions are gone, pretty rough day. Well, it's not even that. Well, the 600 men who are following David, instead of saying, let's go get our wives, let's go get our kids, let's, let's fix this, what do they do? They turn on David. David's closest friends, his warriors, his bros turn on him, and now they want to kill David. Worst day of anybody I've ever seen. Lost his wife, lost his house, lost his kids, lost his boys, just like that. You know what it says about David? It says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He didn't have anybody to help him. He didn't have anybody to strengthen him. He didn't have anybody to encourage him. Everybody was against him. So David went and got alone with God. And I don't think it started out with David saying, God, you are so good. I love you so much. Probably started out with David saying, God, what the crap is going on, right? Like, I, I, I think that there was some real things being said in that conversation. Uh, but he went and he vented, but in the midst of venting, God encouraged him. David found courage and strength in the Lord, and the story ends complete opposite of how it began. God speaks to David. He says, I'm going to give you victory over the enemy. I'm going to send you back out after them. The, your men are going to follow you. You're going to find your wives and your kids. None of them have been harmed. You're going to get all your possessions back, plus the possessions of those who abducted them, and you're going to end up better at the end of the day than you started. And that's exactly what happened. But it only happened because instead of turning to everybody else to vent, instead of giving voice to the way that he felt, David went to God. And we've got to learn to do that. I'm not saying that there's never a time for you to go to somebody and say, man, this is my situation. I need some counsel. I need some advice. This is how I feel. But we've got to be very careful what that looks like because a lot of times we're just throwing a bunch of junk around. We're just saying some things, trying to make ourselves feel better, but in the process we're discouraging somebody else. We're harming our testimony. We're, we're discouraging others who are following God. We've got to be very careful to keep it under control. So your flesh can't control the tongue, but the spirit spirit inside of us so we've got to allow the holy spirit to go to work allow the holy spirit to to make it happen in our lives verse 9 says with the tongue we praise our lord and father and with it we curse men who have been made in god's likeness out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers this should not be can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring 
My brothers, can a fig bear tree leaves, tree uh, bear olives, excuse me, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So ultimately what he's saying is that we must make a choice. Are we going to be praisers or are we going to be cursers? He said out of the same mouth come praises and curses. And this should not be. In other words, we've got to determine, is my mouth going to be used for praise or is my mouth going to be used for curse? Is my mouth going to be used to uplift or is my mouth going to be used to tear down? Because he says if you're trying to do both, you're missing it. You can't do both. This shouldn't be. The same spring can't have fresh water and salt water. A tree can't bear this kind of fruit and that kind of fruit. You've got to determine, are you going to be a praiser or are you going to be a cursor? So there's a lot of ways that the tongue can get out of control, right? I don't know what way you might struggle with. The tongue can get out of control with dishonesty. Man, and lying is a habit, right? Like when you start lying, when you start saying things to conveniently, man, distract somebody from what you've done or conveniently tell somebody something else, it, that thing can spiral out of control real quick. Lying can be a habit. Maybe for you, you need to get lying under control. Maybe that's the way that you need to submit your tongue to the Holy Spirit today. Maybe for you, it's gossip. Maybe you just love to spread that information. Man, you won't believe what I heard about so-and-so. Girl, I got to tell you, right? It's mostly women. Guys, we just, we just, can I just, be, we just don't care enough, right? Like, it's not that we're better than women. We just don't care uh, is what it really boils down to on that. Uh, but, but that's one that, man, maybe you've got to, and maybe you're a guy and you've got to challenge in that. Man, whatever it is, whoever you are, man, maybe you've got to submit that to the Lord today. Maybe you've got to say, okay, God, my tongue is out of control. I'm spreading information. I'm tearing down people's reputations just because I want to strengthen some relationship or have some moment, uh, some thrill of sharing something. Maybe for you it's, it's put-downs, guys. Maybe for you it's profanity. Maybe for you it's negativity. Maybe for you it's dirty jokes or maybe it's something else. But there's so many ways that our tongue can get out of control. Whatever ways your tongue gets out of control, I encourage you today, get in the struggle. Submit it to God. Confess, repent, God, I've been dishonest. God, I've been a gossip. God, I've been negative. God, I've been discouraging people. I've been putting people down. Whatever it is, submit it, repent it, begin to ask him to help. So here's some things to do if you're struggling. Some three just basic, super simple tips. These aren't going to be on the screen, but you can write these down. Three really basic things that you can do to begin to engage in the struggle. First of all, really obvious, pretty basic, but it's going to help you a lot. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're saying. Analyze your conversations. What am I saying? A am, I, am I saying dishonest things? Maybe I don't really mean to. But am I allowing things of dishonesty to come out of my mouth? Am I allowing profanity to come out of my mouth? Am I allowing discouragement and put-downs to come out of my mouth? Am I tearing down? Am I cursing the very people that God loves? Last week we talked about qu quit fighting against the people that Jesus is fighting for. One of the ways that we fight against people is with our mouth. Man, and, and just right here, James says it straight up. If you're praising God, you can't curse men. You can't. This is not an option. If you're genuinely praising God, you've got to build people up. So think about the things that you're saying. Just begin to analyze what, what, what are the things going on in my life. Number two, don't say everything you think. Think about what you're saying. But number two, don't say everything you think. Just because a thought comes into your mind doesn't mean it's got to come out of your mouth. You give it power when you release it from your mouth. 
think about the things you're saying, but don't say everything that you think. You may think some horrible things about somebody. Doesn't mean it has to be said. You might think some, some dirty things. Doesn't mean they have to be said. You might think some dishonest things. You might be tempted in something. Doesn't mean you have to give voice to it. You might think some doubtful things. Some things that are contrary to the word of God. Doesn't mean you have to give voice to it. Man, we all struggle with our thoughts. We all struggle with the things that come up here. But the Bible doesn't say just to get control of it in the thoughts. He says get control of it in the tongue. Because when you let that thought come out of your mouth, that's when it gets control of you. So what it's saying, it says the rudder of the ship controls the ship. The bit in the mouth of the horse controls the horse. The little spark of the fire sets the whole fire, the whole forest ablaze. The little thing he's talking about is your tongue. If you can get it under control there, you're gonna, what's going to happen is you're going to end up getting your thoughts under control too because the enemy's not going to tempt you with things that he can't get to come out of your mouth. This is where it happens. So engage the struggle. Think about what you're saying. Don't say everything you think. And number three, ask God for help. That's what he's there for. He wants to help. If you've got an issue with, man, you, every time somebody cuts you off on I-240, there's a certain word that comes out of your mouth and a certain finger that comes up. Man, if that's you, ask God to help. God, i got an issue. i got some road rage in me. God, i got some anger. I, man, they may never hear what I say, but if they had any idea what I said about them, they'd run me off the road. Uh, Lord, help me to get that under control. I know I can deal with that. Ask him for help. Whatever that issue is, that, that dishonesty, that gossip, whatever it looks like in your life, those put-downs, that negativity, give it to God and ask him to help. I don't believe that, that just asking him to help means you're never going to have an issue. I believe you're still going to be tempted, but I believe that once you've asked him, you've opened the door for the Holy Spirit to give you self-control. So now you can lean into that when that temptation comes, when that idiot pulls over in front of you on the road, cuts you off, whatever it might be, drives too fast, drives too slow. I think it was Seinfeld that said everybody who drives faster than you is a maniac and everybody who drives slower than you is an idiot, right? Like that pretty much that's the way that you feel. If you're in a hurry that day, everybody better be going 10 miles over the speed limit. If you're chilling that day, everybody go right at the speed limit. Anybody who's not, this is how I feel about them. Okay, so maybe this is one of my issues, right? Maybe we figured out what I need to repent. Uh, but... I think I'm probably not the only one who can ask God for some help in that area. It's important. Proverbs 18.21, one of my favorite verses, says so famously and so importantly, says the tongue has the power of life and death. Everybody say life and death. Look at the person next to you and say, your tongue has the power of life and death. Your tongue has the power of life and death. That is a big deal. Now, remember this. You were created in the image of God. Let's go back to the beginning. Go back to Genesis. When God created in Genesis, chapter 1 and chapter 2, how did God create? How did God create? With words. He spoke. He spoke and life happened. And then he said, I'm creating you in my image. Now, I don't think you have the power of life and death in that. I don't think you can go home and say, T-Rex, and all of a sudden there's a dinosaur. I'm ready for Jurassic World. Uh, okay? I don't think you have that power of life and death. I don't think you have it literally, but I absolutely think you have it spiritually. The same power that God manifested in the physical realm to speak life, and oh, by the way, he does not speak death. He only speaks life. But he's given you that power. He's placed it inside you and said, your tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, you're going to eat of whatever 
you produce. You're going to produce life and you're going to eat of it, or you're going to produce death and you're going to eat from that. But your tongue is going to determine your meal. Your tongue is going to determine what you feast on. You've got the power of life and death. So with that in mind, I want to just give you, as we wrap up today, five areas that your words are going to greatly impact. Five areas that you're going to have the choice to bring life or death into these areas of your life, into these relationships, into these situations. Five things, and this is really just just to help you to get your mind thinking about how am I speaking in this situation? How am I talking to others? What am I doing? What am I struggling with in this? So the very first one, first area that your tongue is going to greatly impact, the, the first area you've got the power of life and death is your family. You have no influence anywhere like the influence you have in your family. The greatest ministry, the greatest calling, the greatest opportunity God ever gives in your life is in your family. Your spouse, your kids, the people who are closest to you, that's where this is going to happen and apply the most. Now, this is very important to me because I was raised in a very positive environment. My parents had some issues, of course, but, man, they spoke life into us. They spoke life over us. We always knew we were loved. In fact, uh, anytime if you talk to mom and dad on the phone, they have to say, I love you. Like, they can't have a conversation with you. You can't see them. You can't say goodnight. Like, they're going to say, I love you. And sometimes it was annoying, but you know what? I never questioned if I was loved. Never did. A lot of people can't say that. I was very blessed. The reason why my parents were so strong on this is because my mom did not have that. My mom was raised in a very negative, very destructive, very verbally abusive environment. She's told me many times that her whole childhood, her mom told her she was stupid. Her whole childhood, her mom would put her down and call her various names, tell her really awful things about herself, talked about her weight, she needed to get in shape, all these different things. And so my mom, her, her whole childhood had this negative perception of herself. I'm dumb. The things that I say aren't valuable. She never felt loved. She never felt accepted. My mom is now 64 years old. She'll be 65 this month. And she still has self-esteem issues. And I know that a lot of that stems from the things that her mom said to her. And it wasn't just my mom. It's both of my uncles. One of them's actually passed away, but I've talked to both of them. This is not just my mom being dramatic or, like, trying to get sympathy. This was the house they grew up in. This is the way things went down. The things you say to your family will affect them for years. It's just true. It's just true. The things that you say to your kids are going to shape the way that they look at themselves. They're going to shape the way that they look at God. Still to this day, my mom's a Christian, but she still has this very, very angry perception of God, that God's out to get her, that God's looking for her to mess up, to make a mistake. Why? Because that's this way that her parents shaped her perception of God. It's stuck with her all these many years. The way that you talk to your kids is going to make an incredible, incredible impact in them. Begin to evaluate how are you speaking in your family. Not just how are you speaking, not just are you angry all the time. Do you come home from work mad? Yeah, that's important. Don't do that. But what are you speaking about? What do your kids hear you talk about? Do your kids hear you talk about each other? Do they hear that, that you're – there's another thing that my parents did right. I always knew that they loved me, and I always knew that they loved each other. My parents were gross PDA in front of me. I hated it. Stop kissing, please. But you know what that gave me? It gave me a ton of security that mom and dad aren't going anywhere. Mom and dad are always going to be together, and they are. And here, the, the 35 years they've been married, and they ain't going anywhere. If they were splitting up, they'd have done it by now. They've had their opportunities. They've had their fights. They've had their disagreements. 
but they're sticking thin it for the long haul. They knew, I always knew that my parents loved each other. I always knew that they loved me. There's a ton of security, a ton of benefit that comes from just hearing those things. So think about the things that you're saying. What are you talking about and how are you saying it? Another thing that your words are going to impact greatly is your integrity. Number three, your integrity. See, some people are very prone to say one thing and do another. My wife is awesome about this. My wife is high, high, high level commitment. If you say something, you better do it. The great thing about that is I know if my wife ever tells me she's going to do something, she's going to do it. The bad thing about that is if I ever tell him her I'm going to do something, I better do it. Uh, and unfortunately, if you take like those personality tests, you have like sanguine, phlegmatic, choleric, uh, uh, those types of personality tests. I come out very sanguine. Actually, I come out sanguine choleric on the strengths. So I'm like 50-50 sanguine choleric uh, on the strengths. So I've got the leadership gifts of the choleric. I've got the, the influence, friendly, life of the party, whatever. Like I like to have a good time at the sanguine on the positives. But if you go negatives, on the weakness side of things, I am 100% sanguine. All the way. So what are the sanguine weaknesses? Sanguines are people pleasers. Sanguines like to tell people what they want to hear. Sanguines like to, to, to make a commitment and mean it in the moment, but if they don't feel like following through with it later on, we'll, we'll make an excuse for it. So this is who I am, okay? At my core, at my, like, my sinful fallen nature, I am sanguine to the core. Uh, and I will tell you what you want to hear, and I may or may not follow through. And I hate that about myself. I'm very aware of it, and I am working on it. I see somebody raising her husband's hand. Uh, so I guess I'm not the only one. Um, but your words are going to affect your integrity. If you make a commitment and you don't follow through with it, and I am preaching to myself more than anybody in this room, it's going to destroy your credibility. It's going to destroy your representation of Christ. And I have to work on this one bad. This is like what God kicked my butt about preparing this message. Uh, I, this is my area. This is my struggle. I've got to get this under control. Understand this. When, when you submit your tongue to God, saying the right things does not mean you have to always say what people want to hear. Saying the right things means that you're going to say it with love, but you're going to speak truth. See, the Bible says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. So not only did he express love in all situations, not only was he for people and not against them, but he was also willing to always speak truth. In other words, in John chapter 9, when he deals with the woman caught in adultery, and the Pharisees bring her to her and say, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says that we should stone her and put her to death. What do you say? Well, Jesus steps down and he begins writing something on the ground, and we don't know what he wrote, but Bible scholars believe he, he probably bent down and began writing out the sins of the Pharisees who were accusing him. As he stood up and he said, he's without sin, cast the first stone. The Pharisees looked at what he wrote, and one by one they walked off. So Jesus, full of grace, protected this woman, said, I love you despite your sin. I love you despite your failure. I love you despite the mistakes that you've made. But he didn't stop there. You know what he said to her? He said, go. I love you no matter what. No, that's not what he said. He said, go and sin no more. He was full of grace. He was full of truth. And if we're going to be representations of him, if we're going to be little Christ, if we're going to live like Jesus lived, we must be full of grace and full of truth. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. Jesus embodied it completely. See, the reality is there is no real truth without grace, and there is no real grace without truth. You can't really love somebody being dishonest with them. 
You can't really love somebody just telling them all the things that they want to hear when deep down inside you don't believe them. That's not really love. So we've got to embody love. We've got to be like God. We've got to stay true and walk in grace at the same time. Number three, your tongue's going to affect your ministry. It's going to affect your ministry. Did you know that you're called to have a ministry? See, this is not one of those things that like, some, some churches call what I do, they call it the minister. Minister Saudi. I am not the minister. I am a minister because we're all ministers. See, what we believe at City Church is that if you are part of the family of God, you're a minister. If God has selected you and brought you into his family, you have a ministry. That doesn't mean you're going to do it full time necessarily. It doesn't mean you're going to go be a missionary necessarily. But it means that you have a responsibility to minister to people. What does minister mean? It means to build people up, to make their lives better. Every one of us has that responsibility. Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily. How often? Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. In other words, and as long as we're in this life, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily. Christian, you have a ministry. Maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you haven't discovered it yet. Your first ministry is to your family. Start it there. But you've got a ministry. Whatever circle of influence, whatever situation God places you in, in a ball team, in a work situation, whatever opportunities you have, you've got a ministry there, wherever he's placed you. Fulfill that ministry. Find out what he has. Ask him. Begin to say, God, show me what you've got for me to do. In this situation, you have a ministry to play. You have encouragement to be to someone else. Here's what we say at City Church when you're going through next steps. When you join City Church, most of you in this room are members at City Church. I'm sure some of you are not. If you're a member, here's, here's the expectation on you. If you're not a member, if you decide to become one one day, this is what you're signing up for. At City Church, we say that every member is a minister. Every member. I am not the minister. We are ministers of the gospel. We say if... Uh, Every member is a minister. Number two, we say every task is important. So whether that task is, is the young lady who's in the baby's class right now changing my son's diaper, praise God for you. Thank you. That task is important. It needs to be done right. When I was in baby's class, I put a kid's diaper on backwards one time. That was my ministry. That's why I'm not in there anymore. Uh, put it, I've actually learned how to put a kid's diaper on the right way since I had a kid. Funny how that works. Uh, but I've mastered it. But every task is important. Every member is a minister. Every task is important. And we say that every one of us, every member is a 10 at something. You're a 10 at something. There is something you can do so much better than what I can do. There's something you can do so much better than the person next to you. That's why we need each other. If two of us are the same, one of us is unnecessary. But we're not the same. God's made each of us unique and different and placed different giftings and different abilities inside of us so that we can build each other up, so that we can build the kingdom of God up. Every minister, every member is a minister. Every task is important. Every one of us is 10 at something. So if you're not a member today, I believe that all that applies in the kingdom of God. If you are a member, that applies specifically for us in City Church. We've all got a part to play in, in, in making this church happen. And running the ministry of the church. If you're not a member, you don't have a responsibility here. We'd love for you to join. But you don't have that responsibility. But we still have a ministry. We still have a, a responsibility in the kingdom of God. So you're a ministry now. Or you have a ministry. Now let's apply this to the tongue. Your ministry is going to go as far as your tongue lets it. It just is. The impact that you have in the lives.
lives of others. The impact you have on the people that you work with, the impact that you have on the people that are around you, the impact you have in your family, whatever ministry God has for you, the impact you have in Kid City, the impact you have in the 662, the impact you have in your city group, the impact you have in whatever ministry God opens the door for you is going to go as far as your tongue allows. But if you tear people down, if you discourage people, if you speak negatively, if you're one of those people that every time somebody's around you, you're having a bad day and you got to tell them, hi, it's such a bad day. If you're that guy at work that all you can do is talk bad about the boss and how terrible work is, nobody wants to be around you. That's not Jesus. Jesus was life-giving. People flocked to be around Jesus. Why? Because he encouraged them. I'm not saying he was fake. I'm not saying he was deceitful. But Jesus was full of life. We've got to be full of life. The tongue has the power of life and death. Use it for good. You've got to ministry. Number four, the thing that your tongue is going to impact is your intimacy with God. It's going to impact how close you are to God. It's going to impact if you truly are able to get close to him or not. Check out verse 9 from James 3. It says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. With it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. I've read this passage three times because I think it's so powerful. Because I'm guilty of it. And I think most of us in this room, if we were honest, we'd say I'm probably guilty of that too. I praise God one day and I curse men another. God says this should not be. We've got to begin to look at people the way that God looks at them. Because if we look at them in the flesh, we're going to curse them. Because we see their flaws, we see their weaknesses, we see their junk, we see all the things that they did wrong to us. If we look at them through our eyes, this is what's going to happen. So we got to begin to ask God, let me see people the way you see them. Let me see the lost the way that you see them. Let me see Christians who are messed up the way that you see them. Because the way I see them sometimes isn't very good. It's not very pretty. I see a lot of junk, God, but you see something in them. You see a potential inside of them. You see a future inside of them. You see a better tomorrow for them, God. And I want to see them the way that you see them. And begin to speak to that better tomorrow, begin to speak to the things that God sees. Now, here's what you need to understand. It's going to impact your intimacy with God because the vertical always affects the horizontal. And the horizontal, you and me, always affects the vertical. It's not separate. In other words, I can't have a great relationship with God and terrible relationship with people. And I can't have a great relationship with people and a terrible relationship with God. The vertical and the horizontal are always linked. And so this is why he says you can't praise God and curse. It's not supposed to happen that way. In other words, when I'm doing that, I'm not really praising God. That's really what it boils down to. If I'm cursing men, I can't praise God. I might voice praises to God, but it's not truly praising God. He's not receiving that as praise to him because he says, how can you love me and hate the person I created? How can you love me and hate the one that I sent my son to die for? So we need to begin to love people the way that he loved them. And it's going to increase our intimacy with God. The closer that we get to the people around us, the more that we begin to love them and seek them and pursue them, the closer we're going to get to God, it affects our intimacy with him. 1 John 4.20 says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. Ouch. Oh. Because, man, I love to say I love God. I got some people that I don't like very much. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You want to begin to love God more? He says start loving people more. The more that you love people, it's going to be a lot easier to love God. 
Last thing, guys, last area for us to submit our tongue, last area for us to begin to speak life and death, or excuse me, speak life and not death, is your faith. Number five, your faith. Romans chapter 10 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes by the things that we hear. When I hear the word of God, it builds my faith. I believe that doubt also comes by the things that I hear. And so if I'm speaking doubt, if I'm speaking negativity, if I'm, I'm not going to get this job. I'm not going to ace this interview. They, I don't have the qualifications they're looking for. What, what's going to happen? When I'm speaking those things, my doubt is going to increase, right? My faith is going to go down. My doubt is going to increase. When I'm speaking faith, you know what, man? I believe that God can open the door for this. I believe there might be somebody who's got better qualifications than me for this job, but I believe that God is going to favor me, that God's going to open the door, that God's got a future for me. He's going to make this thing happen. And my faith increases. And you go into that job interview with faith, you're going to be a lot more confident in that job interview. It's just the way that it works. Faith comes by hearing. Doubt comes by hearing. So speak faith. Why do we tell our son all the time, our son's eight months, almost nine months old, why do we tell him all the time Jesus loves you? Because he can understand everything that we're saying? No. But we're speaking faith into him. We're speaking faith over him. Why do we tell him all the time that you love Jesus? Does he love Jesus yet? Probably not. He probably can't really articulate. He probably can't even, you know, understand that he loves us, let alone Jesus who he hasn't seen. But why would we say that to somebody who's, who's so young? Because we're speaking faith over him. Because faith comes by hearing. Because we want our son to love Jesus. Because we want our son to love people. We, we tell him, Judah, you love Jesus. We tell him, Judah, you love City Church. You love the people of City Church. Why? Because pastor's kids get messed up sometimes. And we're not going to let that happen to our kid. We're not going to let our kid hate church. We're not going to let him hate the people at church. So we're going to begin to speak life over him from a very, very early age because we think this matters. Because we think that speaking can increase his faith. But you know what it does? Even more than it increases his faith, it increases mine. Because I'm the one speaking it. And so if you've got low faith... Man, you know, maybe you don't have faith for, for a miracle, reference a job situation, reference your child's future. Maybe, there's, maybe you need more faith for God to use you at your job. Maybe you need more faith for, for some other opportunity. Maybe you need more faith to, to ask a girl out on a date. I don't know. Man, whatever that thing is that you need faith for, begin to speak faith. And your faith is going to increase. Now, when I say speak faith, don't just randomly say, God's going to give me a billion dollars. That's not faith. That's wishing. Okay? Faith is based on the word of God. So find something in the word of God that says, you know what? That, that lines up with your situation. That says that I'm favored by God. A lot of places in scripture say that as a Christian, that you're favored by God. So begin to stand on that faith and what the word says. And begin to believe that faith comes by hearing. So, guys, I know this is more like really practical today. I know that this maybe isn't the most pump you up and get you fired up. And yes, God is awesome message that I've ever preached. But I think that this is going to apply to every one of our lives. If you will take these things and begin to honestly put them into practice in your life. Begin to honestly allow God to, to speak to you and say, here's an area that you need to apply this to. Man, I would, I would take these five areas and ask, okay, God, which one do you have for me this week? Do I need to work with my family? Do I need to work on my faith? Do I need to work on my ministry? Like, what area are you calling me to begin to speak life and not death in? And begin to do it. Put it into practice. And as you begin to turn your tongue, as your tongue begins to turn, as you begin to take it from, from 80% negative, you get a little closer to 60, get a little closer to 50, get a little closer to 40. As you begin to swing that thing over, the Bible says your whole, the whole person is going to swing. Your whole direction is determined by the tongue. So let's get our tongues right.
Let's put our tongue in the direction of speaking life and not death. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.